The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. We landed. Where are the others? Others in party? Are they alive? Affirmative. Are they on ship? Negative. Excellent. I think it's safe to say that the two of us now constitute a voting majority. I do not vote. I am not programmed for free choice. Don't worry about it. It's vastly overrated. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, June 21st. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Welcome to the show. Glad you joined us today on the first day of summer, June 21, 2007. I guess the sun's going to be hitting the Tropic of Capricorn in a couple of hours, and then it will start its long journey back down south. Uh, just to prove that global warming is a real phenomenon and occurs every year in half of the globe. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today we'll be talking about a number of issues, including school board creative accounting, a little bit about the promises being made during this Ontario election. Going to have a guest later on, too, talking about anti-war protesters and anti-war workshops uh, dealing with the Regional Social Forum, where I will be um, um, joined by Anthony Verberkmos of Indie Media Independent News. So that should be an interesting section to uh, stay tuned for. But first, I want to hit an issue that I really haven't talked about much lately. And it, it started... In, at the beginning of the week, I was just listening to some of the news stories that were occupying people's minds, and it was kind of depressing in a sort of a way. And, you know, I think I'm getting to the belief that a lot of people are just like Dr. Smith in that opening clip where they think, well, free choice is just something that's kind of overrated, and how easily we are willing to give it up if somebody can convince it that what we're getting in return is some kind of security. Now, or, or better feeling of some sort. One of the, a couple of the main things, and they might seem totally unrelated, but I'm leading to a, to a major issue on something else that I want to lead to, and that's about risk and what is the nature of risk and how it relates to freedom. But one of the things that we're coming up, there's a, more of a national story and a local story that I sort of want to tie together here. Um, the local one is about... Now, they've already put it to, to rest, so to speak. It's going back to City Hall. But they were talking about tougher idling bylaws earlier on this week. And, you know, no one's been charged with these idling bylaws. We apparently have had them since, so oh, 1998 or so. No charges made in the London area yet. But apparently some environmentalists and other people are rather interested that there should be more people punished under this law because what they're doing with this law is trying to, uh, you know, educate us. Um, in particular, we've heard from Steve Turner, local envir environmentalist, Sam Trosco, who uh, are kind of determined to punish anyone as so part of this education program through the city's Environmental and Transportation Committee. What they wanted to do was uh, make sure that if you... Uh, 
sat in, uh, say, in a Tim Hortons donut wait waiting list there going into the drive-in, that if you idled for more than three minutes, that they could uh, fine you $125, and apparently that would educate you in some way. Now, apparent, what the law actually says is that uh, the proposed bylaw would prohibit more than three minutes of idling during any hour period. The minutes need not be consecutive. Now, who is going to follow you around? You'd have to have an absolute police state to have some guy follow you around and with a little stopwatch, okay, stop for five seconds. Oh, when's the hour going to be up? Okay, next five seconds, click, click. Oh, he's adding up to three minutes pretty soon. It's getting around to 11 o'clock. We're going to get him. Oh, it's 27 degrees. Well, we can't touch him because when the temperature hits 27, magically you're exempt from this law, which seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Since all the heat and the inversion and the pollution and all that stuff occurs above 27 degrees, generally speaking, but that's when it's exempt. So they only want you not to idle when it's cool and comfortable and whatever else outside. Now, it's not that I'm opposed to doing things good for the environment and stuff like that. When I know I'm waiting for a long period of time, I'll turn my car off, but I'm not doing it because of environmental concerns. I'm doing it because it's the sensible thing to do. I'm saving gas. I don't need to waste it because it's in everyone's self-interest, isn't it, to save gas. So what I see in this is not so much... It's like somebody wanting to tell you, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. They're kind of slapping you on the wrist like they're your parents or something. And it's just not an attitude that I can accept. Why is it okay for me to drive my car at, say, half a mile an hour <laughs> and nobody would touch me, but I can't sit in the car with the car running? It's not the issue of the environment. It's the issue of now somebody's telling you exactly what you can use your car for, minute by minute. And that's almost what they want to tell you. The, 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 it's so ludicrous, too, that the whole concept of, of uh, trying to, you know, make things better in this way. For example, uh, you know, I drive a 92 uh, um, Crown Vic, and I haven't had a problem with it yet in terms of passing any emission standards, and I'm told by uh, people that these cars just pass emission standards without even blinking twice. The car is old by today's standards, but it drives quietly, it's clean, and it uses a lot less fuel than the previous cars I used that, that had smaller engines. So, you know, this whole nonsense, and they say themselves that it's all about, uh, about quote, educating. We want to educate you. We want to educate you because uh, you got to keep aware of the environment, keep aware of this, as though we aren't getting inundated enough. You know, I almost see it as... Uh, I don't know, something motivating this, this just doesn't seem right to me. There is another issue involved in this as well, and that's a, a, a more important issue, I think, and that's the issue of the whole no-fly list and the discomfort caused by people uh, traveling and, and going from place to place. Now we started in Canada, apparently on Monday. Um, the no-fly list here that we have in Canada has apparently less than a 1,000 names on it, which means that anyone getting on a plane within Canada, you don't have to be leaving the country, uh, you can be not denied a boarding pass uh, just because your name is similar to a name that happens to be on that list. A lot of people have the same names, there's no question about that, and I can see that that's going to be a major issue for people. But think of all the innocent people getting caught in all of this. I mean, didn't the Taliban basically win the war on 9-11 right off the bat because we're doing all the rest of the work for them. We're restricting our freedoms to the point where security 
is being compromised. You know, I, I get a kick out of the mentality here, and I think it all has to do with risk in general. You, you see people now, we're waiting for passports. The, the backlogs are incredible. Thousands of people have had to cancel their, their, their vacations, their family plans. And that inconvenience in and of itself is something that if I was the enemy, I'd be going, <laughs> you guys, you guys are really silly. Oh, man, what are you doing? You know, we have these no-fly lists, bans on liquids and plastics, and basically terrorizing a lot of innocent people in the hope that we'll catch that one guy who just might be the big disaster. Well, I remember discussing this issue just in a week or two after 9-11 on, on Jim Chapman's show. And everyone was worried about when, you know, another airline would be used the same way it was on 9-11. And my argument goes this way. I think the threat from airlines as a weapon of mass destruction is over. Those days are over. And it, was, it ended with the fourth plane on 9-11, when the passengers realizing that this was not a typical ho hostage hij hijacking event. You know, up until 9-11, you got, you got hijacked. You figured, uh, well, somebody's going to uh, hold me for ransom. I'm probably going to get out. My odds are pretty good. I'm not going to resist. But the minute you realize that you are doomed, you're not just going to sit there. Every person on that plane is a weapon against any potential hijacker. And, it's, of course, it hasn't happened since then as well. And I think that with all the attention that we're giving to airlines and areas like that where there's a lot of people, I think while we're looking one way, if, you know, terrorists could be looking in quite another place, very quiet places where there are few people and yet they can disrupt things like power and issues of that nature. Um, you know, the people that were on that fourth plane that prevented it from crashing into any uh, major structures or anything. They took the matters into their own hands, weaponless, defenseless, and yet still willing to risk their lives. So I think the next hijacker of a plane would have to kill all the passengers first if you wanted to carry out any threat of violence, because I don't think that's going to get, get them anywhere. But what concerns me is that this restricted environment that we are creating for ourselves is exactly, exactly what terrorists thrive on. They know how to move through restrictions. They come from countries that are so restricted. You even see what happens in jails. When people are in jails, they still get their drugs. They still get whatever they want. There's power being traded there. It's just amazing what can get through the barriers that we think that we, that, you know, that we can uh, prevent. Now, I've heard the argument from people saying, well, I've got nothing to hide. You know, people who say, I don't mind being inconvenienced. Uh, you know, if they don't search and something happens, you know, it's 2007. The world's a different place. Well, no, it's not really. It's the same place it was before 9-11. Um, but what is different is we're turning it into a different place. And we're turning it into the very place we fear. And this brings me to my next issue, and that's the issue of risk. And, and it's just like people want to reduce all risks um, you know, down to zero. But the, the truth of the matter is that risk, the things that we concern about, are not the high-risk items. Just looking at a quick article in Time magazine here where we see that, uh, you know, if you're going to die of something, it's going to be a disease, heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, chronic lower respiratory disease. Out of 2.5 million people in the States, that takes up half of them right there. Other diseases that you don't even know about, you're talking about 681,000 per 2.5 million. And believe it or not, homicide is is a low 17,000 out of 2.5 million, dwarfed by suicide, 31,000. 
uh, drug overdose, only 11,000. And you think out of 2.5 million people, uh, how many people have had snake bites or been attacked by marine animals? Uh, one, two, and these, yet these are things that people worry about incredibly. So before we leave, I just wanted to conclude, you know, the people are terrified of death in all sorts of ways, but, you know, as they note in the Time, Time Magazine article, all death is created pretty much equal for most creatures. Whether you're eaten by a lion or drowned in a river, your time on the savanna is over. That's not the way human beings see things, though. The more pain or suffering something causes, the more we tend to fear it. The cleaner or at least quicker the death, the less it troubles us. And that is why people worry too much about the wrong things and too little about the right things. We truly do misjudge risk. I'll be talking about that in more detail sometime in the future. But right now, we're going to take a break. If you want to join the conversation, 519-661-3600 to join us. And we'll be back right after these messages. I've never understood, you know, I've never understood that whole thing about you know, all these th thrill seekers, you know, like skydiving. A little while ago, my friends tried to make me go skydiving. There's no way I'm going to go. If your chute screws up, you have approximately two minutes before you hit the ground. Two whole minutes. If I have to die, I want it to be quick and painless. I think most people would agree, huh? Quick and painless. Top two answers, quick and painless. And if you had to pick one, I'd go with a quick little pain. <laughs> okay, but quick. <laughs> it's got to be quick. You want the shark to bite your head off, not start on the feet and work up. <laughs> Man, I'm swimming, I see a shark, I swim towards the shark. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sister Mary Immaculate. There are many Catholics in here tonight. Nearly everyone. People say to me, does God only love Catholics? Well, that's not true. God loves Protestants and Jews and Anglicans. He loves them all. He prefers the Catholics. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, well, John Tory apparently does not anymore, if you're going by what the Tories are promising in the Ontario federal or provincial election, and they want to now have the taxpayer pay for all religious schooling. Welcome back. This is Just Right with Bob Metz. You're listening to CHRW 94.9 FM. You can call 519-661-3600 to join in the conversation. We're right now... We're going to be talking a little bit about the Ontario election and all the promises and promises that are being made because they're all yours to keep. Let's hope that some of these promises are not kept because I don't know if we can afford them all. Uh, now, there's a big debate, of course, building about the whole issue of, uh, of education and uh, education tax funding with the election coming up. And uh, the Tories have, of course, and by Tories I mean the provincial progressive conservatives under John Tory, which is just coincidentally the name of the party leader happens to match what we call the party as well. Doesn't that work out well for marketing purposes? But uh, here he is uh, saying now that, uh, and, he, and he's avoided an issue here in terms of people directing their own money to the schools of their choice, and that is that he is tax funding religious schools, which might on the surface sound great, especially if you want your kids to go to a religious school. 
and you think you're the beneficiary of this, but you know, that's one of the big mistakes we always make in politics. While the government's busy robbing Peter to pay Paul, all of us think our name is Paul. Problem is, our name is Peter, and we find out that we're only named Paul 2% of the time, and our name is Peter 98% of the time. And until we you know, latch on to that, public funding of anything will not really make make sense. It's, it's merely a vote-getting tool, and that's, you know, they're each fighting uh, over two wrongs. Two wrongs don't make a right, as Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever said in a, a news release on this very issue. And... Uh, you know, he, he points out that John Tory's proposal is nothing less than a call for tax-funded assault on science and rationality because, guess what, he's not extending this kind of funding to schools that only teach science and, and, and knowledge of the universe and knowledge in particular, no, only religious issues. And, and, of course, if you look at history, as uh, Paul points out, the happiness found among individuals in the Western world can be attributed solely to the results of logical, independent thought about the scientifically provable facts of nature. It is not founded upon unquestioning belief. And uh, how true, but that doesn't seem to make any difference to uh, the Tories. Listen to some of the promises that have been made so far. I just summarized some headlines in the news over the provincial election here, and i just sampling some over the past week or so, okay? Um, I've got here, uh, well, McGinty. Uh, pouring a half a billion dollars, that's, or literally 650 million of your tax dollars into the auto sector towards energy efficient big cars. Get it, big cars, not small cars, but big cars. And of course, uh, the unions are celebrating this because, uh, you know, in this case, their name is Paul. And uh, so they're getting money and they want uh, more of your money. And it kind of tells me that if the industry needs our money to stay afloat, it's sinking. And when will we stop having to put money in to keep it afloat? And it's not the first issue of this nature. Um, $650 million, and that's just in one area. There have been many others, as uh, union representatives have said, $100 million here, $200 million there, and that's just in the auto, industry, auto sector, rather. Then you've got other headlines, like McGinty ducking the nuclear issue. You know, this is in the June 17th Free Press, with which regards elevated levels of radioactive tritium that was found in the Great Lakes. McGinty says they pose no threat, but by gosh, he's going to ban light bulbs. Going to ban those light bulbs, but that radioactive stuff in the, in the lakes, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, boy. Liberals promised to pour billions into transit, June 1607 Free Press. Premier Dalton McGinty unveiled his sweeping $17.5 billion transit vision for the GTA and Golden Horseshoe, comprising some 52 projects, which will create 175,000 jobs. Ah, well, that's how they're going to get back the $200,000 jobs they lost with uh, raising the minimum wage. Maybe that's what the plan was. And, of course, Mint, uh, McGinty expects the federal government to come up with one-third of the cost. Uh-huh. Well, now we know what the argument's going to be for the next 20 or 30 years. Uh, Toronto Mayor David Miller, of course, loves the great news because his name's Paul in this case, too. It's funny, you only hear from the Pauls, you know, when, when, when you're talking about uh, politics. Everyone who's getting the money is smiling and happy, but the Peters, the rest of us sitting at home, are watching our money peter away. And I think the, <laughs> the analogies are so apt. PC delay, P, sorry, PC's delay on vote changes, June 14, Free Press, and this is regarding... Uh, uh, 
Tory leader John Tory saying it has no opinion on the change to uh, the electoral system that we're going to have on the referendum on October 10th. I don't know, he says, you know. But instead, he says he's going to create jobs, show leadership, uh, cut taxes. And that's amazing because I, I saw him on TVO where he specifically avoided saying he would cut taxes um, and increase spending on, on health and education. Well, that's interesting. He doesn't even know where he stands on the referendum question. Well, the good news is I just found out before I got on the show, I got a, tele, a, a phone call from Toronto that... Uh, we were very concerned, and by we, I mean I and other people within Freedom Party, as many of you know, were involved with, and we addressed to the government on this. But amazingly, the question that will be worded in the October 10th uh, election is the one that we proposed, and only we proposed. We wanted to make sure that it was not a yes or no question, because when you get a yes or no question to a convoluted sentence, uh, people go, am I saying yes to the one side or am I actually saying yes to the other one, which we had with the Charlottetown Accord because it was like a double negative if you read it very carefully. So the question now will be more along the line of are you in favor of first past the post or are you in favor of MMP, multi, multi-member plurality? And of course they'll have to explain that, but that's a much more honest question in terms of, uh, of the issue. And that's something you're going to have to deal with on October 10th. That'll be a new one for us all. Um, Here's another one. Liberals tie climate plan to re-election June 7th. And, of course, they're not going, they're, they're going to re, not, not yet reveal all of the plan, but it'll all depend upon their re-election. So we'll hear all, all about those plans when they get re-elected. And, of course, uh, just the money piles up. Tory's health care budget would top $46 billion out of the National Post. He's going to hike spending by 5%. He will phase out the liberal employer health care premium. Get that. And he says that we can save millions of dollars by eliminating x-rays, prescri- unnecessary x-rays so prescribed for back patients. So there you go. Even less uh, medical care for all that more money is going <laughs> to just on it goes. Um, of course, he says he's not going to raise taxes because he blames the last hike on the deficit left by the Harris Tories. And he says he means it this time, by gosh. And then Ontario gives $5 million for gun, track, gun crackdown, um, just unbelievable. Liberals promised $200 million green plan out of the National Post. Now, you know what this $200 million green plan is? They're going to reduce greenhouse gases by lending money to 445 municipalities across the province. So they can borrow up to $200 million for uh, to improve insulation, replace windows, and make other infrastructure improvements. Hello? Greenhouse gases? What's that got to do with greenhouse gases? Nothing. It's absolutely total nut disconnect right there. Then, of course, there's the Green Party themselves. And, boy, you know, they're getting more popular. Here's their big stands, uh, uh, eight of them. Ontario must achieve 80% of Kyoto targets by 2050. Uh, They want to encourage voters to support proportional representation on uh, on the, the referendum we were talking about. They want to fund only non-religious education. In fact, they want one school system for all. And they want to abolish the Ontario Municipal Board and leave financial municipal decisions to local elected councils, which might sound good on the future unless you're a, you know, a, a local guy who is being stepped upon, as we see with the developers here. Ban handguns and rely on all new uh, renewable electricity. Just amazing. But uh, 
I just see no hope there. I just see that we as taxpayers are being milked and not really going to be getting anything more for it than the same stories we've had forever. Reminds me of the Thames, Thames Valley School Board of Education. Remember last week I did some estimates. I said, well, they'd have to, with rough figures I have, they'd have to lay off about 50 people and and save so much money. Well, turns out the actual figure was 65 jobs, and they said they avoided cutting them because through creative accounting, they turned their $7.5 million deficit into a $200,000 surplus overnight since last week. Can you imagine? And get this. Instead of cutting 65 jobs, even though, remember, enrollment's going down by over 1,500, no, they're going to create another job. They're going to add a records management person. And uh, they said, well, we'll have to deal with declining enrollment and reduced revenues. Uh, just unbelievable. And uh, the head of the board said on the radio the other day, uh, I wish I could apply that kind of magic to my own budget. Anyways, that's it for this break. When we get back, we'll be back with our guest, and we'll be talking about war protesting. Montreal. Nice to be home. I keep forgetting that I, uh, hey, how are you? It's nice to be home. I still don't speak French, though. That makes it tough. Sorry. Because it's such an easy language to pick up. How many verbs do they have? Passé, passé composé, future, future simple, preparative, subjunctive, plus que parfait, screw all! English, one verb, shut up. We don't need a little green book to tell us how to conjugate them. Killing is immoral. But killing for a purpose can be quite often ingenious. Oh, well said, Mr. Redlock. What is our purpose? We are on a quest for knowledge, Mr. Leach. And we too are on a quest for knowledge here on CHRW 94.9, where you are listening to Just Right. I'm Bob Metz. And the phone number to call if you want to get through to us is 519-661-3600. Right now, I am joined in studio by uh, Anthony Verberkmost. Did I say that right, Anthony? That was good. Oh, pretty good. And you are with, tell us. Uh, uh, well, today I'm uh, here to promote the uh, regional social forum that's going on this weekend. Okay. And that is being held, I understand, um, let me see here. It says it's at the uh, Scouts Canada grounds. Is that right? 531 Windermere Road? Yeah, out Windermere, just off of Richmond. Uh-huh. And tell us a bit about it. It says here, this hugely popular free event. It's free then, right? So yeah. Anybody can go, or do they have to be from the university campus? Nope. Or it's no, open it's to open public? to everyone. Okay. And uh, it says the slogan is, a better world is possible. And tell us a little bit about what kind of activities are yeah, you know, it, whirling around that slogan, and what kind of better world? Is there a common vision there? Is there many visions? Or how? A little bit of both. It's okay. sort of based on the World Social Forum that's become really popular in other places in the world. Started down in Brazil, and it's been held in Africa. Um, it's sort of modeled on that. This one's in the London area, and uh, 
it, it really is a collection of visions, all sort of progressive, all sort of uh, hoping to improve things and push social causes. Um, yeah, there's quite a variety of uh, groups and people taking part in this. Um, now, I did notice when I went online, I was quite impressed by the size of the, the website and the, and the connections around the world because I hadn't heard of... Uh, now, I went to IndieMedia.org, and that's I-N-D-Y-M-E-D-I-A.org, right? There are good people down there. And uh, I was astounded at the size of the thing and the connections, and I had to look down and go down the left-hand column, look London, Ontario up. So there's a lot of activities going on. What, all the same weekend, same time kind of thing, or... Uh, is, is uh, no. Oh. Um, what you might have saw on the Indie Media site are uh, other members of our network. Right. That's a, that's a local alternative news site, mm -hmm. and uh, London's one local chapter. Um, there are social forums that go on all over the place. We're the only one in Canada to go on three years in a row now here in London, so we're a, sort of a success story here, I might, guess you might say. Okay, and so this is... How many times has this been done now here locally? It, London's, this is our third annual. This is the third, and it's always on the first day of summer, or is it just uh, happened no, to be that today? June. Yeah, they pushed it back a little this year. Last year it was a little earlier in the month. So what kind of issues would be brought up uh, at a work... I, I understand there's workshops, I guess there's speeches, there's... Uh, what other kind of activities? Uh, it's ongoing. There's people will be camping out there the whole camping? weekend. Okay. Yeah, because it's at the campgrounds there's a lot of open space um there's uh going to be uh vegan food available there's uh uh tables set up by different groups to distribute information and talk to people um i don't have my speaker list with me but as you said there's a list of interesting speakers set up and then there's a bunch of workshops going on every day twice a day at 10 o'clock and two o'clock there's a lineup of uh uh, workshops where people is, can is take Is that a part. list of them there? This is, is there, uh, the current list. And, uh, and uh, people are, that, that's, that's where there'll be people uh, bringing up a certain subject and uh, the people attending can take part in the discussion. Well now, as I look at some of these subjects, uh, the Secret Society, Secret Trials in Canada and Deportation mm -hmm. to Torture with Matthew Behrens. Right. Uh, reduce the incident of sexual exploitation with Jesse Roger. Food security using El Salvador as an example. Integrated Minds and Machine, the disabled body as cyborg resistance. What would that be about? Do you have any idea? I can't wait oh. to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Poverty Draft, a perspective of a war resistor. Mm -hmm. um, the Human Rights Situation in Burma. Um, then that's uh, oh, that's just in the morning. That's all at 10 a.m.? So that's so, all tomorrow morning. So you can't go to all of them at the same time. That's one drawback as okay. I see it. There's always something you're missing. And then uh, you're talking 2 p.m. You've got Canadian mining companies around the world. Unschooling, a radical approach to learning, um, <laughs> buy less crap, <laughs> consuming, <laughs> consuming suffering, mm -hmm. uh, dealing with the police. Now, that's an interesting one. Counter-Striker, opposing military research on campus. That's an interesting issue. Yeah, that's a group here at UWO. Uh, and uh, why would they oppose military research on campus? Or well, double purpose. Uh, many feel that uh, it sort of tarnishes the image of UWO once they find out there's military research taking place. And another issue for a lot of people has been the... Uh, how, how would that tarnish the image? Isn't our military a, good, a force for good? <sighs> How much time do we have? Well, as long as you'd like to take. I, I, I personally don't think so at all, and to me it is a tarnish. Um, I, I think... So even having a military is not a good thing? 
I not, wouldn't necessarily say that, but I think aggressive military operations and, and UWO lending its resources towards uh, uh, that whole effort and and the wars going on, I don't think that that's a, a connection that should be really there. Well, did we start those wars? Did we start? Yeah, the, the wars that you're talking about. I mean, it strikes me the reason we're over in Afghanistan is because of 9-11. Really? Is that not the reason we're there? I don't know. Is is that what we're there for, to well, punish them for 9-11? Well, okay, it might be bad tactics. I could give you a lot of reasons, but what, why would we be I there? I would agree on that. I, I, I think that's a good question. I mean, I, the way I see it, we're sort of filling a role for the American adventures so that they had more resources to pour into Iraq. And why, why would they be doing that? I mean, what's in their interest to do that? Uh, well, geez, I could give you a whole reading list on those reasons. A lot of them were brought out before they went over there. I mean, uh, happens to be the second largest oil reserves. And Well, yeah, but they went I mean, to countries. Have you ever heard of Project for a New American Century? They basically laid out what they wanted to do before they got into office. Well, you know, no I wouldn't surprise. be surprised. I, you know, I, I often see Iraq simply as a tactical move to move closer to Iran. I think that's a part of it as well. And if that is, Iran, if you don't regard Iran as a threat, despite what the president of Iran has been saying and the nuclear war or nuclear arms build up and the, and, uh, and the, the mere irrationality of that part of the world and the commitment to wanting to get rid of I, I, a country I, I, like Israel. What, what would you do about those things without a... Well, first off, I would think Iran, with, with what's facing them, would be insane if they didn't try and acquire some sort of protection. I mean, everything well, in the region is pointing who? towards them. And another thing but is, not I us. think I would... I would well, who's us? Well, certainly uh, the, the Americans have there's been slowly circling them. Oh, there's, uh, there's and I think if you're Pakistan, listening to what's India, being said out of Iran, the, uh, the Grand Ayatollah is the one who really we should be listening to. That's where the real power is. But they keep taking these quotes to use uh, to make them look insane. You know, I mean, uh, the Americans were selling them nuclear information in the mm-hmm. 70s, mm-hmm. setting them up. And now suddenly it's a big problem when they, they, they want to use nuclear power, when they've got all the weapons in the region pointed at them. I mean, it would seem well, odd not, to me if they didn't want to protect themselves. Well, did you ever hear anybody there say that we're put, 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 uh, creating this nuclear power for self-defense because we're afraid of the other countries attacking us? That's not what the country is saying. Mm-hmm. And it seems that you're not even listening to what they themselves are saying. They are saying, we will destroy Israel. We will. You know. Well, that's what one person has said. Well, he's in control of the country. No, he's not. Actually, the Grand Ayatollah is in control of the country, and, and he hasn't actually said things like that. Well, if that, that would make it even worse, because then you'd have a very religious country, again, mm-hmm. uh, with that religious division, wanting to destroy a, another country that has a different religion. Doesn't that worry you at all? Or I don't know. The wor- most worrisome uh, actions in the Middle East, to me, have come out of Israel more than anywhere. I mean, uh, for all the rhetoric that comes out of Iran, I mean, Israel's made... Uh, a lot of military moves in recent times. Well, yes. Every time they're attacked, they respond. Every time they're attacked? Uh, yeah. Or no, you don't see it that way? I don't know. You I know, Israel has had, just by means of terrorists, I mean, I, f- I forget, I used to collect newspaper clippings, and it was like mm-hmm. you could almost count two a day, some rocket lobbed into Israel, you know, from well, some Well, if we're counting, do we count the other way, too? I mean, the casualty figures are almost 10 to 1 Casualties in the occupied fi- territories, listen, and in the war last year, they were even worse. And 
And the, but, but that's the point. If we were to strike back, we'd probably create a lot more damage than was caused to us. But does that mean that we don't have the right to strike back? You, you think it has to be equivalent? Strike like back. if they kill 100 Canadians, we can strike, only... Strike back against what? I mean, they've, they've been occupying that territory for 40 years. They've invaded Lebanon numerous times. There's always a military presence at the borders. I mean, I'm you know, not sure you know, who's, who's the one striking back. Well, you have to look. Can you tell who's, who the good guy is and the bad guy is? Are there any bad guys in the Mideast or in that whole oil situation, or is it all just competing interests as far as you're concerned? Well, it's always competing interests, but I mean, whoever has the most power usually has the most influence. Well, we have to take a break right now, Anthony. You want to carry this on on the other side, or...? or... I'm good to go. Okay, we'll be good to go. We'll come back right after these messages. Stick with us. It's all very well to take this lightly, Humphrey, but we cannot close our eyes to something that is as morally wrong as this. Very well, Minister, if you insist on making me discuss moral issues, may I point out to you that something is either morally wrong or it isn't. It can't be slightly morally wrong. No, don't quibble, Humphrey. Government isn't about morality. Really? What is it about then? Stability. Keeping things going. Preventing anarchy. Stopping society. Falling to bits. Still being here tomorrow. What for? <laughs> what is the ultimate purpose of government, if it isn't for doing good? Minister, government isn't about good and evil. It's only about order or chaos. And it's in order for Italian terrorists to get British bombs. And you don't care? It's not my job to care. That's what politicians are for. My job is to carry out government policy. Even if you think it's wrong? Well, almost all government policy is wrong. But <laughs> frightfully well carried out. question for you. We're taught early on to be a good person, to be kind, to follow the rules, to say our prayers and take our vitamins. But what if we do the right thing and bad things happen? What then? Is it ever wrong to do the right thing? Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can join the conversation if you like at 519-661-3600. And I'm in the studio here with Anthony Verberkmos, is that correct? That's good, yep. And uh, we were just talking before the break about some of the events that are being held um, going on. Is that starting now already? Uh, tonight oh, it kicks tonight. off with the critical mass bike rally from Victoria Park up to right. the campgrounds. So today being Thursday, tomorrow it starts on Friday. That's when everything gets going, eh? That's right. And um, yeah, just before the break we were talking about, uh, in fact, that, that question we just came out of, out of the break with, is it ever wrong to do right? I often wonder if that's how some people maybe feel about the war, that maybe we went in there with the right intentions and it turned out to be uh, an error. And even if it was, would that make the the people acting wrong in their original intentions? It's a tremendous philosophical question, because before the war, or before the invasion of Iraq, let us say, uh, Democrats and Republicans and everyone alike, all the UN, all agreed that uh, the country had weapons of mass destruction, which indeed it did have in the last... Uh, yeah, with American uh, last, price tags um, on them. Um, does it really matter where they buy their weapons? Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, if I sold you a car and then you decided to go crazy one day and kill somebody with it, am I responsible for that? Well, because I just at think the it time shows I the hypocrisy the of the American intentions that they set the, this country up, fill it full of weapons, oh. and then turn around and use that as an excuse to invade them. Well, you know, that's what happens when when you align yourself, when, you, when two, two differing, um, let's say, ideologies have a common enemy and they tend to help each other, just the same way the West sort of hel helped... Uh, or aligned with Russia during World War II, even though we had totally different uh, perspectives on government and on on you know people's relationship to that government. But wouldn't uh, isn't you know protesting the war in general, backing the bullies? Isn't you know I don't see the West as being by the West I mean England, Canada, United States, you know, as being the bullies in this. All that we want to do is have a peaceful world where people can trade, buy their oil and gas, and their Kellogg cereal, whatever, and people don't shoot. We're not the ones taking the first shots, as as, as I see it. And wow, um, you don't. I see couldn't it that disagree way. more. Okay. I mean, I think those countries are soaked in blood. Their histories. I mean, well, we're it's it's a since especially since World War Two. It's it's been a constant, ongoing state of war. One country after another. Well, after under another. Hussein, Iraq, they lost. They were losing a hundred of their own citizens that was a at day. At the height of American support, as well. Well. But that's not the point. Well, it is the point. Oh, so, I mean, so, if they had nothing to say about it then, except keeping the checks going, then why, opposed, why would it be a problem now? You're opposed to America supporting the country. You're opposed to America invading the country. Hmm. It seems to me that every time we see the protesters out there, it's only when America is involved in a war. But if it's two other factions, we never hear from you. If it's a, one totalitarian against another one, and they're killing people and slaughtering people, I don't see all the protesters lining up there going, whoa, the war is evil. Because well, all the anti-war protests I saw in New York City after 9-11 mm -hmm. were organized by Socialist International. And mm -hmm. they, they carried the signs. That was their... That was their mantra, you know, that they're opposed to the war because basically they're bullies themselves as well, far as I, I see it. I see that as we're most responsible for our own actions. So what Canada does interests me the most and our, our, our sudden position of uh, uh, total support for American and Israeli actions, that's why those countries' actions take on more uh, meaning to me. Well, first of all, we didn't give them total support. We gave them partial support. We wouldn't go into Iraq. We went into Afghanistan. Okay, we didn't commit our meager resources towards their Iraqi adventure, but we did lend them to Afghanistan to enable them to uh, to. So, go to into you, Iraq the UN doesn't exist here at all. It's just the U.S. and the UN is not even there. I don't know what you mean by that. Well, the Americans seem to disregard uh, UN more than anyone. Well, when it's not in their interest, and we would too. Yeah, yeah. anyone would. If anyone uh, would, of course. If, and then if, what would happen when they do that? Well, then the Wasn't that one then the, the alliance falls apart. That's what usually happens, and that's inevitable. What's going to happen with with yeah. the UN? I think those that are more powerful enough to ignore the UN usually do. Do you not see a difference in the philosophies between the United States? You know, I'm not saying that the states and Canada are perfect. I complain about them all the time. Mm -hmm. You hear me in here every week complaining about both countries. Right. But when I step back and I look at the bigger picture, I think we have to be very thankful for the freedoms we have here, oh, which the agree. countries that we're fighting do not allow for their own citizens. And to me, that's the beginning and the end point. Once you live in a country, one thing I learned, uh, when I studied history, is that the number of people killed in any war 
is dwarfed. It's almost insignificant compared to the number of people killed by their own leaders and their own nations and their own totalitarian regimes. It just boggles the mind. Mm -hmm. We'll sit here and, you know, millions slaughtered by Russia, and we all sit here. It's, it's in Africa, the same thing. But as soon as America intervenes and tries to do something about it, it's evil. I don't understand that. Could you explain it for me or, or well, find someone sure who I can could. explain all of that, but my take would be that any atrocity like that is something to be avoided. And again, I'd go back to what we're responsible for is our own actions, our own the predictable outcome of our own actions. So for us to take part and support these dictators that commit these crimes, then that's that's the real sin for us. And I mean, if you do look at American Who history, should we especially support? since World War II, that they've had a constant uh, habit of supporting these these uh, regimes until it's not in their interests so, any longer. So, so then you'd have to suggest that, okay, we don't support the dictator, we'll just go over there, take over the country and put our own guy in place? That seems to be what they do most of the time. Well, that's just another dictator, isn't it? If they can get their way, they usually do. In you fact, see, the internal documents showed the Americans wanted to replace Saddam Hussein with a like strong man so that they could continue on most of what was happening to begin and with. And there's probably some truth to that, because yeah, it's the same reason sure. that you vote for the lesser of a given number of evils. If that's all you're given is a certain number of evils, you have to choose among them. And since over there all you have is one dictator, one criminal regime after another, you've got to pick the lesser one for the time being as a tactical issue. Well, since you, one of our, our uh, supposed goals is to spread democracy, it'd be nice if we'd support some of this democracy when it does rear its head. I mean, we have a habit of squash it when it does come up like we did in uh, Palestine I mean as soon as there's a, a, a government elected we do everything we can to sabotage them and and well you, you know th it's, you, it's, you think that elections ha are, are have something to do with democracy well, democracy is a little not, part of it well actually it's not because many non-democratic countries have elections mm -hmm. elections are part of almost oh. every corporation every country what a, a, a democracy is a country in which the leaders have no more rights or fewer rights than, than the citizens. And that's definitely not the situation in those countries. I, I agree with you. I, we shouldn't be over there imposing democracy. We're only over there, as far as I'm concerned, to defend ourselves. And that's it. That's the only justified reason to ever use force, is in self-defense. Hmm. And that's why I see us as being there. Because if we're not there, they're going to be here. They've already told us that. They made that very clear on 9-11. So to me, the, the, the question is... who who made it clear on 9-11? Good question. The Palestinians? I was going to ask you. Uh, well, it could be the Saudis. Everybody thinks it's the Saudis. And uh, does that make any difference, really? Uh, should we be in Saudi so Arabia then? Would you support war? Does it make a war? difference who, who threatened yeah. to attack us? Well, here's my when question. Talking about what would you have done on, what would you have done on 9-12? What would I have done? Yes. Probably launched a criminal investigation. Okay, they did something similar to that, didn't they? And they found I'm out that... I'm not sure that I ever saw that. Well, okay, you know, you're... you're you're completely skeptical, and understandably so, mm -hmm. because there's well, not much truth during the war, be. okay, cause, and it works on both sides. Well, they hanged people at the end of World War II for outright aggression. It was called the supreme crime, mm -hmm. and I think that's exactly what's happened here. Aggression, with almost no excuse at all. I mean, one, one excuse after another has fallen. And, and Aggression on whose part? On, well, the Americans and everyone who followed them. So there was no aggression on the other side at all. 9/11. Which was other side? Okay. What did Iran? Who, who cares? Who, 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 whoever was responsible for for the well, that twin towers to be the American was that not whoever a... was responsible? So where are these connections? But I mean, and the Afghans offered up uh, uh, <laughs> Osama 
if there was any proof shown, and they weren't shown any. I proof have never seen any proof of any of these leaders myself. Okay, but That's I have right. to operate on a basis of okay. Here's two countries. What does this country do to its citizens? What does this country do to its citizens? How does this country treat its neighbors? I thought we were defending uh, ourselves. Well. But that's how, but first you have to determine who the good and the bad guy is. And as far as oh. Afghanistan goes, that's where everyone, all sides, Britain, everyone decided that's where they were training all these terrorists. That's where mm -hmm. we got to go. Well, that's where the Americans and British set up the camps to train them originally. That's a, and Russia was there too, and that's a whole yeah, history. That was who they that were fighting doesn't at mean, the time. Just because you armed your enemy in the past doesn't mean you don't defend yourself against them <laughs> today. Listen, this debate could go on probably forever, mm -hmm. but we have to end it now because Ira is over there in the studio. He's been waving. And that mean I got to thank you, Ira, for uh, all your help uh, throughout all this. By the way, Ira reminds me that today is also Native Solidarity Day. Is, is that an annual event, uh, like uh, every June? Yes, 21? it is. So and it's always it's the first. It's not a statutory day yet, <laughs> hopefully. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, that's it for this week, folks. I want to thank my guest, Anthony. Thank you very much for coming by. And Thanks, please uh, don't be afraid to come by again. I love arguing. I love to discuss these issues. And I think that's a little bit of, hopefully, what you might be getting at the event over the next couple of days. Hopefully. And uh, certainly if uh, you want to show up to uh, these events here. Let me see. Where are they again? Uh, where was that held again? I just put my notes aside now. The oh, the grounds uh, on Windermere. Correct. 531 uh, Windermere Road. And it's free, so if you want to take part in that, it's over the weekend. So that's it for this week, folks. We will be back next week. And we hope you'll enjoy or, or join us again we, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and think right. See you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes. Everything will be alright. I was married for two years. They say the secret to a successful marriage is leave. And then they say... No, they say the secret is just don't go to bed angry. So I was awake for two years. He didn't have trouble committing adultery. He was very... Unfaithful, yeah. He was cheating on me with his secretary, and I figured it out because he had lipstick on his collar, covered with white out, and... But I got married young. I fell in love at first sight of his house, and I'm, I'm not like, um... I'm not saying I married him for money. <laughs> I'm implying it, but I, I'm not, um... Don't marry for money, right? Divorce for money, and that's really, um my advice. I don't care about money. I want a sensitive man, right? I want a man who will cry when I hit him. I, I want very, um...